G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Well, as we do on a Thursday, we love to connect with Charles Newington, who's the National Director of Family Voice Australia. Fabulous organisation, really concerned about things that are happening with families. But Charles, across so many different dimensions, applying himself this week to the escalation of the coronavirus and what that might mean to us. Charles, a special welcome back to 2020. Thank you, Neil. Nice to be with you, especially during such a rainy season. It is rainy, especially in southeast Queensland, and I know down the coast uh, from uh, into uh, northern New South Wales, central coast of New South Wales. Hey, Charles, the escalation of the coronavirus. Uh, 500 people have died, uh, more than 24,000 infected in China alone. Uh, you've been looking into the coronavirus, and uh, you've got some perspectives uh, to, on hand today. What's your overall uh, what's your overall uh, impression of what's been going on? Well, you can see nations are taking it uh, very seriously without wanting to um, rattle the nerves of the horses and stampede them, as it were, and create chaos. But um, as you mentioned, it, it, the official figures in China are 500 deceased and over 24,000 infected. And um, the Western science field uh, represented by the prestigious Lancet Medical Journal estimates, in fact, that the predicting number of cases will double every 6.4 days. So their estimate of infections in in Wuhan city alone uh, are about 300,000 currently, and they expected it will peak uh, in uh, in April, sort of the natural natural, um, um, adjustment in our in our immunity systems, you know, will start to kick in, as it were. Interesting but, um, <clears throat> to talk yeah. about things like this, uh, you know, pandemics. Uh, it does yeah. have a fear factor to it. And yeah. medical scientists, of course, working overtime to try and find uh, some ways that they can uh, find a vaccine and uh, those sorts of things. But as you say, and as you've been reflecting on some developments, no natural resistance. So there's a way for this to run uh, before it really reaches its peak. Yes, yes. And uh, sometimes, you know, look, I'm not a, a virologist, uh, but I think all of us would recognise that uh, we have these pandemics like flus that sort of come back season after season with a slight mutation to them. And um, Professor Ian Mackay from the University of Queensland is is saying that basically this is now part of our world and we'll have to find a way of treating people with it um, um, uh, as, as it spreads and then sort of settles into into the kind of health management issues that we would we would have in the longer term. And I just wanted to direct people to an article in in the Australian by Natasha Robinson. It's called "Virus Will Never Be Contained," which sounds 
you know, a little bit ominous. But in it, there's some great healthcare recommendations, you know, just great infographics for people who want to know what the virus is and how to minimise infections or the transmission of infections from one to another. And it's really simple. It's very clear. It's infographics, you know, sort of quick look at it and you get it. So it's well worth, worth looking at. Charles, there are a lot of reports coming through media everywhere about the coronavirus uh, the impacts on our economy, all sorts of uh, issues there in play. Let's get into some of the deeper issues that come around a virus like this because all of us will have seen, uh, you know, people with uh, Chinese appearance, Asian appearance, mm. and, you know, wearing face masks and things like that. And and it's a little bit like look out for anyone who looks Chinese because they're likely to be carriers of the coronavirus. It's almost like you know, tarring everyone with the same brush. It's like a, uh, you know, a racial profiling and almost the creation of what you might even say is, uh, you know, whether it's short-term or long, like a new racism. Uh, there's some Christian dimensions to, we can bring into a conversation like this when we start to think about what people tend to think here. Uh, what are your thoughts for those developments? Yes, well, a sort of a big-picture thing is the kind of um, misunderstanding of the of the relationship between race and culture, you know, the what we might call the biological um, distinctives of a, of a people group, how they look and that sort of thing from their historical life, but then how they live, the culture, you know, what they believe and their daily practices, that sort of thing, what they value, that's the culture. And um, in this case, the origin of this virus is generally linked back to a live animal market in Wuhan, and an infection passing from infected animals to humans, as in the case of bird flu. I remember, you know, coming as, it coming as a bit of a surprise to me that cats got flu or birds got flu, you know. Mm, yeah. And some of those some of those viruses can shift, and and uh, then they cause trouble in the human society. So it's for reasons like this that societies develop health regulations about the handling of food and animal husbandry. Um, because they're conscious of the fact that certain foods, uh, particularly animals, uh, products can convey disease to humans. So there's care. And, and, and the culture may have, in, the, in China, for instance, the culture may have traditionally been associated with, with wild live animals um, in, in their diet um, with, without what we might think of as modern scientific animal husbandry and health care regulations. And, and so there's an example of how, as a culture, that the, the you know, society will have to sort of say, well, let's, we've got to change the way we do things. Um, uh, and it's, this is not reflecting upon the value of the Chinese people. It's, it's reflecting upon the process of uh, how we learn to adapt uh, as, a, as a society becomes more urbanised, etc. Charles, there are biblical wisdom points to draw attention to, and a lot of listeners will be familiar with, say, things like Old Testament food laws that God gave to the children of Israel. Uh, what are your thoughts yeah. for uh, biblical connections around the way that we might look at foods and uh, these uh, food hygiene issues and, you know, whether there are some animals that are clean and some that are unclean? I mean, uh, how should we understand that from a Christian point of view as to the way that, as you say, some cultures have different practices with the way they uh, eat different animals? Yes, it's it's interesting. The Old Testament has very specific food laws featuring some animals that were classed as suitable for consumption and others that were not. And um, right at the very out beginning of the Christian community, the, the Christian leader Peter has this vision, a, a very impacting type dream, almost like a 
trance type thing the Bible talks about it that way. He says where he saw this big tarp being lowered down from heaven with all kinds of animals in it, including ones uh, from the forbidden varieties. And he hears this voice telling him to kill and to eat whatever he likes. And even in that trance-like state, his religious culture just kicked in, and he just couldn't bring himself to do it. <laughs> and it happened three times. It goes up and it comes down, and he's still going, no, 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 I can't do that, I can't yeah. do that. Yep. And then when he wakes up, he realizes, uh, you know, he, he thinks on it, he realizes that what it's about is that, uh, that God's making a point that it's not about food types, actually, it's about people types. It's about people groups. And that... Um, and that what God is saying that is that he, to Peter is that he's done something in Christ that reconciles all of humanity to himself, and that people, regardless of their racial background or their personal background, they, they have been reconciled. There's provision for them to be reconnected with the Creator. So this process of isolating China uh, because of the virus must not, must not transmute into a form of racism. You know, it's it's not a form of racism. It's a situation in human history where they have, and all of us have to adjust to uh, to, to how we now live in a more, you know, internationalist society. So, objectively speaking, we have to appreciate that somebody's got to make the call and make hard decisions about uh, who comes in, goes out, uh, isolating the virus and uh, and containing. Uh, the whole coronavirus from contaminating the whole world. But at the same time, we've got to keep that tension as Christians by recognizing yeah. that it's not about the cultural practice, but it's about an appreciation for a whole people. I mean, not everybody. Yes. You can't just say China's guilty. They're not guilty, are they? No. We, we mustn't let the, this medical issue contaminate our theological perspective, if you like, on the value of human beings to God. This has been always the challenge of the Christian faith is that we've constantly been sent into other cultures different from us. And, uh, and the thing about those cultures is that they, they were doing things that we just found really difficult. And, and uh, so Jesus prepares our hearts to, to see beyond the cultural practice. Uh, in my, my family, we had a long association of mission in Africa. And um, that was, goes back to a time when you know, my father and mother worked among the people that had been cannibals and, and polygamists and all sorts of other things. And uh, they have to see beyond those cultural values uh, to the real value of the human beings. And I, I remember even in my own experience of working with animists that um, um, the one of the challenges for them was uh, that, uh, that actually the whole thing's an integrated thing. So this, the food laws stuff or, um, or whatever, it, 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 culture is kind of integrated. It's like a kind of a working model that explains the world. And we've developed this modern secular scientific working model that you that that, uh, that you know that you've got somebody talking about stardust about you know there's wanting to explain the whole universe by stardust type thing and 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 that's how we do it but but animism or other religions they all have their own working model of the universe and it's important for us to to understand the interconnectedness of these things so that when we start to tinker with one bit we recognise the knock-on impacts on others. And if I can run on, I noticed that Jacinta Nampi Jimpa Price, um, Alice Springs counsellor, she's been in the, in the media recently um, about saying that, um, that she deeply respects her culture as an Indigenous woman, but she does not view traditional culture as an inviolable system of law that should not be changed. And here what she's speaking about is the fact that Indigenous society develops a view of the universe, a view of human experience that was kind of like a working model. 
and 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 when you start to tinker with a bit of it and you and and you try to adjust uh, indigenous law in one sector actually you've got to know what you're touching and uh, and i'm not saying this is the case about an indigenous law because i, I find it a, a very deep a very deep issue but in the african environment there were situations where the traditional societies viewed the women and children actually as the possession of the men and the reason why they did that was because of their physical dominance. They assumed that the gods actually designed it that way, that because of male physical dominance, they were supposed to not just dominate and rule, but also care for uh, the people in their charge. And, 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 and if there wasn't proper respect back to the patriarch or back to the leader of the family and the clan, that was actually a disrespect for the gods who had made things that way. So perhaps that's the sort of stuff that's going on in indigenous culture as well here, that that, that, that this isn't just a social thing that's being confronted. It's a it's a worldview thing. It's a way things are view uh, issue that's that's being dealt with. And 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 that's that's um once again I'll just push on uh, about this that that you know when working in the traditional African society with people who had little exposure to Christianity, the approach was to explain that that the the God of the Christians was in fact the Creator. They knew He was there but they were alienated from him. And as a consequence, they had to deal with the lesser spirits in the environment that seemed to control the territory that they lived in. And, and they didn't think there was any way to escape from the domination of those spirits. And when they heard that the creator had actually made a way to be reconnected back to the creator, the hopefulness of that was confronted by the whole cultural package that they had been carrying with them for generations. They loved the idea of the freedom, but they didn't know whether they could actually make the step. And that's what baptism represented for them. It, made, it was a massive thing for them. It was like they were stepping out of their cultural identity into a new relationship with the Creator through the Creator's Son, Jesus. In and one sense that, here, Charles, if you don't have a reference to the Creator, as we Christians do, we say God is the Creator, but if you don't have that reference point, you are eventually going to be led along the line to some form of animism, aren't you, or some form of superstition. Yeah. And uh, it's these superstitions that you're talking about and the connection to the cultures, whether we're talking about Australian indigenous culture or even if we're talking about, uh, as we have been with the coronavirus a little earlier, on the idea of the way that culture uh, presents itself and the things that people eat. Uh, there's all yeah. sorts of, you know, if we, if we don't have a focal point which gives us a reference point then we are going to be led off into all sorts of different directions. That's true. And I think it's very important for Christians to regain their sense of, uh, of their relationship to the Creator because what, uh, what they've been educated to is that the world is not the work of God, but it's just the work of the Big Bang or something like that. But, 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 but everywhere across the, the, the world, when your eyes are open, you see the fingerprints and hallmarks of the Creator. And uh, so I think it's really great that you're talking to Taz Walker here. He'll bring a lot of that out. But I think it's important that we realize for us, you know, the, the, the message, whether the message of Jesus is, going, is being communicated to the Chinese who have been so very responsive to it, or to animists, or to secularists and atheists like us, what that message is, is whatever it is that we feel that separates us or alienates us from the Creator and from, uh, you know, the one who deeply loves us, the good news is that what Jesus Christ has done is he has reconciled us. He's reconciled, he's made the peace, and there's no, there's no need for us to feel alienated anymore. And, but God who reads the hearts, he knows that when, if we will just hear this and believe it and start to respond to it, he sees our hearts, he recognizes us, 
as somebody who's who's turning back to him rather than turning away from him, and and he starts to he starts to make that work for good. Well, Charles Newington, always appreciate your good thoughts. I'll point people to the website familyvoice.org.au. That's the website for Family Voice Australia. Charles Newington is National Director of Family Voice Australia. Familyvoice.org.au. Charles, thanks so much for the update today on 2020. Thank you. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.